Hey, gang, how are you doing? Hi, my good folks. I love y'all. It's good to see ya. What has everybody been up to? Um, uh, some heads up. Today is going to be a long one. Um, <laughs> let, me, let me tell you about some of my numbers that I have to work with here. Um, so, Lord of the Rings. We're jumping into book two. Yeah, yeah? Cool. Excellent. Good. Very exciting times. The two towers, which I am absolutely going to call the twin towers on accident more than once, I can promise you. Um, I'll buckle up, you good babies. <laughs> it is time indeed, Proteus Spade. Let me run some numbers by y'all. So, O equals yo, baby! <laughs> Heck yeah, O equals yo, gang! Oh, man. I like that. It's so goofy, but I really do love it. Um, o equals yo. O equals yo. Don't forget to capitalize that Y. Just like Glendog. Glendog done did it. O equals yo. Do we need some like... No, that, that, we'll skip that. An emoji's fine. We don't need We don't need to add like hand signs for it. That's no good. Let me throw some numbers at you. I typically like to read about 12,000 words in... Uh, in, in one stream. that has I've found that to be like a pretty comfortable number. It changes a little bit depending on whether a lot of that is dialogue versus a lot of that being um, uh, description. I prefer it when it's mostly dialogue. I really enjoy that, um, even though it does make it take a little bit longer. Um, so about 12,000 words. Now tonight, we've got two... We've got two uh, uh, chapters to read. Chapter one... 3,300 words. Great. 3,300 words. A little bit north of that. Almost almost 3,400. So we'll say 3,400 words. Great. Chapter 2 is just a skosh over 11,000 words. Okay. All right. Now now we're in a little bit of a, of a spot, right? Because that comes out to a total of, uh, including all of the, uh, all of the extra, uh, loose change in there comes out to 14,437 words. This is why I do things in a spreadsheet. I've got my master spreadsheet of all my streaming stuff. So that's where we're at. 14,000 words tonight. Okay. Well, it's a little bit longer than average, but I don't mind a longer than average stream. It's kind of nice, honestly, sometimes. And then we get into next week. Next week... Chapter 3, chapter 3 would be 7,652 words. Chapter 4, 12,700 words. Uh-oh! <laughs> Uh-oh! So, so next week, either we just read, and it's not like I could do, like, a one chapter this week and then two chapters next week, because that means we would be reading three 3,000 words tonight, which would be... Like the quickest stream I've ever done, other than the ones that crash on me. Spectrum, thanks for nothing. And then, you know, I'll go on to chapters 2 and 3, which is a total of uh, almost 19,000 words. So chapter 3 <laughs> and chapter 4, next week, if we go through it like that, it's going to be 20,000 words. Which is like, you know, it's it's not double our typical number, but it's approaching that. Um, and then the rest of the book is definitely... The rest of part one, I should say, is definitely better, but still not great. And so I think we're just going to have to, <laughs> we're going to have to uh, buckle up for a couple of long streams, some long ones. Um, I think, I mean, it's possible that I will just read chapter four on its own, but that means that next week we would only be reading a seven and a half thousand words chapter, which sounds like, eh. It just sounds, that sounds too short. 
but but then after that, you know, if we were if I do uh, two chapters every week, first of all, it leaves me with an odd number of chapters. So if I were to read two the week after that, it would be eighteen thousand words. Two after that would be fifteen thousand. That one's a fifteen thousand is a pretty approachable number. And then the last three chapters would be another nineteen thousand. There's just not a great way to put it together. If I start from the end and go with <laughs> chapters ten and eleven together, um, then I could do like almost exactly twelve thousand. Great, fantastic. And then the two prior to that would give me 15,000. Okay, this is working. And then the two prior to that were at 16,000. That's chapters 6 and 7. Okay, great. But then we are left with chapters 3, 4, and 5 for a total of 29,000 words. We're talking like a Shadows Over Innsmouth-style magnitude of oopsie. Um, So this is where we're at. Um, uh, the math is not nearly as pretty as it was for, uh, the Hunger Games, but then again, we can't ask for every, all the math to be as pretty as the Hunger Games was. That was just, mm, ooh la la. Glendog says no one told me there was going to be math in this book club, right? And it's not, don't worry, it's not math that y'all need to do, it's math that I need to sort of get sorted out, and I'm definitely going to procrastinate because I've been hired for two different and and uh, potentially a third ongoing campaign, which is all of this is great news, we've got great stuff to read, I've got, you know, uh, great clients to work with um, on the RPG side of things, but it does leave us in this, this little space, this little space, so gonna work on it we're gonna find out all right it's gonna be good and 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 my goal is essentially i would uh, i don't want to rip through this book too quickly but at the same time i also don't want to be you know thundering up to a thursday night with a six seven thousand word (laughs) nonsense (laughs) and with that we need to talk about a little bit of review don't we everybody my name is sam this is sidecar stories and this is thursday which means flying sidecar a voice actor's venture through some stories that we all love right now the lord of the rings we have completed the first book the first book in two parts uh the first book titled the fellowship of the ring and now we are embarking upon book two the two towers this is an exciting time when I when I started doing this, I was fairly confident I could get through the whole thing. But, you know, if you had asked me a year ago, I would have said, that seems really dicey. But here we are. Here we are. We're doing it. And not only are we doing this, but I will remind you, head over to, to Discord and, and uh, jump into the creativity channel. Um, because I've got an ongoing thread in there called Sam's Terrain Craft, where I am building Hobbiton and... Ooh, it's gonna look good. I've got two of my three panels landformed. So uh, we'll talk about that later. Talk about it later. Right now, a tight little bit of review, all right? A a tidy little review. Frodo is a hobbit. He and some of his companions are traveling east across Middle-earth because as we are, uh, as we discover more and more about this ring that popped up during the story of the hobbit with Bilbo, he brings that home, he goes off at at the first chapter, and now... Now we've got Frodo carrying this thing. Over time, as Frodo carries it, we discover more and more that this ring is dangerous. It presents a lot, a lot of danger. Uh, It is an enormous weapon uh, that would be very powerful in anyone's hands, but most so in the hands of the enemy, its creator, Sauron. Now, Sauron is sort of trying to summon it back home, bring his powerful weapon back to himself so that he can conquer all of Middle-earth and potentially beyond. But right now... The best defense that we have is not that uh, our grand army of good will go up against his grand army of evil. No, it is that we keep the ring hidden. 
We move it quietly. We send this small group, just nine people, the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, a, a wizard, an elf, an, uh, a dwarf, four hobbits, two humans. We send them off on a secret mission to bring it in the direction that Sauron is, because that is the same place that it can be destroyed. In the fires of Mount Doom, this big, big volcano, essentially, where it was forged, it's the only place where this thing could really genuinely be destroyed. So, we're on a mission in that direction. Unfortunately, the, the Fellowship of the Ring is broken to pieces. Gandalf fell first in uh, a, a massive mining city underneath the mountains called Moria. He is lost. As we leave, Aragorn, uh, the heir to the throne of humans, is kind of the de facto leader here, but the ring and its dark influence is sort of picking the group apart uh, with greed. And the other human in the party, Boromir, he tries to take the ring from Frodo at the very end of this, uh, of book one. And now, uh, after this, Frodo realizes he has to leave this group. He's putting them all in danger, and if Sauron's influence has, has infiltrated the group like this, it may only be a matter of time before the ring itself is unsafe as well. And so he decides to leave. Of course, his faithful companion, Samwise Gamgee, his gardener and now friend, uh, uh, decides that even at great risk to himself, he's going to follow Frodo. And so they head off in their direction, and that is where we're at. Book Two, The Two Towers, Chapter One, The Departure of Boromir. Aragorn sped on up the hill. Every now and again he bent to the ground. Hobbits go light, and their footprints are not easy even for a ranger to read. But not far from the top a spring crossed the path, and in the wet earth he saw what he was seeking. I read the signs aright, he said to himself. Frodo ran to the hilltop. I wonder what he saw there. But he returned by the same way and went down the hill again. Aragorn hesitated. He desired to go to the high seat himself, hoping to see there something that would help guide him in his perplexities. But time was pressing. Suddenly he leapt forward and ran to the summit, across the great flagstones and up the steps. Then, sitting in the high seat, he looked out. But the sun seemed darkened and the world dim and remote. He turned from the north back again to north, and saw nothing save the distant hills, unless it were that far away he could see again a great bird like an eagle high in the air, descending slowly in wide circles down toward the earth. Even as he gazed, his quick ears caught sounds in the woodlands below, on the west side of the river. He stiffened. There were cries, and among them, to his horror, he could distinguish the harsh voices of orcs, then suddenly, with a deep-throated call, a great horn blew, and the blasts of it smote the hills and echoed in the hollows, rising in a mighty shout above the roaring of the falls. Oh, oh, oh. 
The Horn of Boromir, he cried. He's in need. He sprang down the steps and away, leading down the path. Alas, an ill fate is upon me this day, and all that I do goes amiss. Where is Sam? As he ran, the cries came louder, but fainter now, and desperately the horn was blowing. Fierce and shrill rose the yells of the orcs, and suddenly the horn calls ceased. Aragorn raced down the last slope, but before he could reach the hill's foot, the sounds died away. And as he turned to the left and ran toward them, they retreated until at last he could hear them no more. Drawing his bright sword and crying, Elendil! Elendil! He crashed through the trees. A mile, maybe, from Parthgalen, in a little glade not far from the lake, he found Boromir. He was sitting with his back to a great tree, as if he was resting. But Aragorn saw he was pierced with many black-feathered arrows. His sword was still at his hand, but it was broken near the hilt, his horn cloven in two at his side. Many orcs lay slain, piled about him at his feet. Aragorn knelt beside him. Boromir opened his eyes and strove to speak. At last, slow words came. Outside to take the ring from Frodo, he said. I am sorry. I uh, have paid. His glance strayed to his fallen enemies. Twenty at least lay there. They've gone. The halflings, the orcs have taken them. I think they're not dead. Orcs bound them. He paused and his eyes closed wearily. After a moment, he spoke again. Farewell, Aragorn. Go to Minas Tirith and save my people. I have failed. No, said Aragorn, taking his hand and kissing his brow. You have conquered. Few have gained such a victory. Be at peace. Minas Tirith shall not fall. Boromir smiled. Which way did they go? Was Frodo there? asked Aragorn. But Boromir did not speak again. Alas, said Aragorn, thus passes the heir of Denethor, lord of the Tower of God. This is a bitter end. Now the company is all in ruin. It is I that have failed. Vain was Gandalf's trust in me. What shall I do now? Boromir has laid it on me to go to Minas Tirith, and my heart desires it. But where are the ring and the bearer? How shall I find them and save this quest from disaster? He knelt for a while, bent with weeping, still clasping Boromir's hand. So it was that Legolas and Gimli found him. They came from the western slopes of the hill, silently, creeping through the trees as if they were hunting. Gimli had his axe in hand and Legolas his long knife. All his arrows were spent. When they came into the glade, they halted in amazement, and then they stood in a moment with heads bowed in grief, for it seemed to them plain what had happened. Alas, said Legolas, coming to Aragorn's side, we have hunted and slain many orcs in the woods, but we should have been more of us here. We came when we heard the horn call, but too late, it seems. I fear you have taken deadly hurt. 
Boromir is dead, said Aragorn. I am unscathed, for I was not here with him. He fell, defending the hobbits, while I was away up the hill. The hobbits! cried Gimli. Where are they? Where is Frodo? I do not know, answered Aragorn weakly. Before he died, Boromir told me that the orcs had bound them. He did not think that they were dead. I sent him to follow Merry and Pippin, but I did not ask him if Frodo or Sam were with him. Not until it was too late. All that I have done today has gone amiss. What is to be done now? First we must tend the fallen, said Legolas. We cannot leave him lying like carrion among these foul orcs. But we must be swift, said Gimli. He would not wish us to linger. We must follow the orcs if there is hope that any of our company are living prisoners. But we do not know whether the ring-bearer is with them or not, said Aragorn. Are we to abandon him? Must we not seek him first? An evil choice is now before us. Then let us do first what we must do, said Legolas. We do not have the time or tools to bury our comrade fitly, or to raise a mound over him. A cairn we might build. The labour would be hard and long. There are no stones that we could use nearer than the waterside, said Gimli. And let us lay him in a boat with his weapons, and the weapons of his vanquished foes, said Aragorn. We will send him to the falls of Rauros, and give him to Anduin. The river of Gondor will take care that at least no evil creature will dishonour his bones. Quickly they searched the bodies of the orcs, gathering their swords and cloven helms and shields into a heap. See, cried Aragorn, here we find tokens. He picked out from the pile of grim weapons two knives, leaf-bladed, damasked in gold and red, and searching further he saw also the sheaths, black, set with small red gems. No orc tools are these, said he. They were borne by the hobbits. Doubtless the orcs despoiled them, but feared to keep the knives, knowing them for what they are. Work of Westerness, wound about with spells for the bane of Mordor. Well now, if they still live, our friends are weaponless. I will take these things, hoping against hope, to give them back. And I, said Legolas, will take all the arrows I can find, for my quiver is empty. He searched in the pile and the ground about it, and found not a few that were undamaged and longer in the shaft than such arrows as the orcs were accustomed to use. He looked at them closely, and Aragorn looked on the slain, and he said, Here lie many that are not folk of Mordor. Some of them are from the north, from the misty mountains, if I know anything of orc and their kind. And here are others, strange to me. Their gear is not after the manner of orcs at all. There were four goblin soldiers of greater stature, swart, slant-eyed, with thick legs and large hands. They were armed with short, broad-bladed swords, not the curved scimitars usual with orcs, and they had bows of yew in length and shape like the bows of men. Upon their shields they bore a strange device, a small white hand in the center of a black field. On the front of their iron helms was set an S-rune wrought of some white metal. I... I have not seen these tokens before, said Aragorn. What do they mean? This is for Sauron, said Gimli. That is easy to read. Nay, 
said Legolas. Sauron does not use the elf runes. Neither does he use his right name, nor permit it to be spelt or spoken, said Aragorn. And he does not use white. The orcs in the service of Barad-dûr use the sign of the red eye. He stood for a moment in thought. S is for Saruman, I guess, he said at length. There is evil afoot in Isengard, and the West is no longer safe. It is as Gandalf feared. By some means the traitor Saruman has had news of our journey. It is likely, too, that he knows of Gandalf's fall. Pursuers from Moria may have escaped the vigilance of Lorien, or they may have avoided that land and come to Isengard by other paths. Orcs travel fast, but Saruman has many ways of learning news. Do you remember the birds? Oh, I've got no time to ponder riddles, said Gimli. Let us bear Boromir away. But after that we must guess the riddles, if we are to choose our course rightly. Maybe there is no right choice, said Gimli. Taking his axe, the dwarf now cut several branches. These they lashed together with bowstrings and spread their cloaks upon the frame. Upon this rough bier they carried the body of their companion to the shore, together with such trophies of his last battle as they could choose to send forth. It was only a short way, yet they found it no easy task, for Boromir was a man both tall and strong. At the waterside, Aragorn remained, watching the bier, while Legolas and Gimli hastened back on foot to Parthgalen. It was a mile or more, and it was some time before they came back, paddling two boats swiftly along the shore. "'There is a strange tale to tell,' said Legolas. "'There are only two boats upon the bank. We could find no trace of the other.' "'Have Oaks been there?' asked Aragorn. "'We saw no sign of them,' answered Gimli. "'And the Orcs would have taken or destroyed the boats, all of them, and the baggage as well.' "'I will look at the ground when we come there,' said Aragorn. "'Now they laid Boromir in the middle of the boat, which was to bear him away. "'The great grey hood and elven cloak they folded and placed beneath his head. "'They combed his long dark hair and arrayed it upon his shoulders. "'The golden belt of Lorien gleamed about his waist. "'His helm they set beside him, "'and across his lap they laid the cloven horn and hilts and shards of his sword. "'Beneath his feet,' They put the swords of his enemies. Then, fastening the prow to the stern of the other boat, they drew him out into the water. They rowed sadly along the shore, and turning into the swift-running channel, they passed the green sward of Parthgalen. The steep sides of Tolbrandir were glowing. It was now mid-afternoon. As they went south, the fume of Rauros rose and shimmered before them, a haze of gold. The rush and thunder of the falls shook the windless air. Sorrowfully, they cast loose the funeral boat. There Boromir lay, restful, peaceful, gliding upon the bosom of the flowing water. The stream took him while they held their own boat back with their paddles. He floated by them, and slowly his boat departed, waning into a dark spot against the golden light, and then suddenly it vanished. Rauros roared on, unchanging. The river had taken Boromir, son of Denethor, and he was not seen again in Minas Tirith 
standing as he used to upon the white tower in the morning. But in Gondor, in after days, it was said that the elven boat rode the falls and the foaming pool and bore him down through Osgiliath and past the many mouths of Anduin out to the great sea at night under the stars. For a while the three companions remained silent, gazing after him. And then Aragorn spoke. They will look for him from the White Tower, said he. But he will not return from mountain or from sea. Through Rohan, over fen and field, where long grass grows, the west wind comes walking, and about the walls it goes. What news from the west, O wandering wind, do you bring to me tonight? Have you seen Boromir the Tall by moon or by starlight? I saw him ride over seven streams, o'er waters wide and grey. I saw him walk in empty lands until he passed away. Into the shadows of the north I saw him then no more. The north wind may have heard the horn of son of Denethor. O Boromir, from the high walls westward I looked afar, but you came not from the empty lands where no men are. And then Legolas chimed in. From the mouths of the sea the wind south flies, from the sandhills and the stones. The wailing of the gulls it bears, and at the gate it moans. What news from south, O sighing wind, do you bring me at eve? Where now is Boromir the fair? He tarries, and I grieve. Ask not of me, where he doth dwell, so many bones there lie, on the white shores and the dark shores under stormy sky. So many have passed down Anduin to find the flowing sea. Ask of the north wind news of them. The north wind sends to me. O Boromir, beyond the gate the seaward road runs south. But you come not with wailing gulls from the grey sea's mouth. And then Aragorn said again, From the gate of kings the north wind rides and past the roaring falls, and clear and cold about the tower its loud horn calls. What news from the north, O mighty wind, do you bring to me today? What news of Boromir the bold, for he is long away? Beneath Amon Hen I heard his cry, where many foes he fought. His cloven shield, his broken sword, they to the water brought. His head so proud, his face so fair, his limbs they laid to rest. And Rauros, golden Rauros Falls, bore him upon its breast. O Boromir, the Tower of God shall ever northward gaze to Rauros, golden Rauros Falls, until the end of days. So they ended. 
Then they turned their boat and drove it with all the speed they could against the stream back to Parthgalen. You left the east wind to me, said Gimli, but I will say naught of it. That is as it should be, said Aragorn. In Minas Tirith they endure the east wind, but they do not ask it for tidings. But now Boromir has taken his road, and we must hasten to choose our own. He surveyed the green lawn, quickly but thoroughly, stooping down off into the earth. The orcs have been on this ground, he said. Otherwise nothing can be made out for certain. All of our footprints are here, crossing and recrossing. I cannot tell whether any of the hobbits have come back since the search for Frodo began. He returned to the bank, close to where the rill from the spring trickled into the river. There are some clear prints here, he said. A hobbit waded out into the water and back, but I cannot say how long ago. How, then, do you read this riddle? asked Gimli. Aragorn did not answer at once, but he went back to the camping place and looked at the baggage. Two packs are missing, he said, and one is certainly Sam's. It was rather large and heavy. This, then, is the answer. Frodo has gone by boat, and his servant has gone with him. Frodo must have returned while we were all away. I met Sam going up the hill and told him to follow me, but plainly he did not do so. He guessed his master's mind, and came back here before Frodo had gone. He did not find it easy to leave Sam behind. But why should he leave us behind, and without a word? said Gimli. That was a strange deed. And a brave deed, said Aragorn. Sam was right, I think. Frodo did not wish to lead any friend to death with him in Mordor, but he knew he must go himself. Something happened after he left us that overcame his fear and doubt. Maybe hunting orcs came upon him and he fled, said Legolas. He fled, certainly, said Aragorn, but not, I think, from orcs. What he thought was the cause of Frodo's sudden resolve and flight, Aragorn did not say. The last words of Boromir he long kept secret. Well, so much now at least is clear, said Legolas. Frodo is no longer on this side of the river. Only he can have taken the boat. And Sam is with him. Only he would have taken his pack. Our choice, then, said Gimli, is either to take the remaining boat and follow Frodo, or else to follow the orcs on foot. There is little hope either way. We've already lost precious hours. Let me think, said Aragorn, and now may I take the right choice to change this evil fate to the unhappy day. He stood silent for a moment. I will follow the orcs, he said at last. I would have guided Frodo to Mordor and gone with him to the end. But if I seek him now in the wilderness, I must abandon the captives to torment and death. My heart speaks clearly at last. The fate of the bearer is in my hands no longer. The company has played its part. Yet we that remain cannot forsake our companions while we have strength left. Come, we must go now. Leave all that can be spared behind. We will press on by day and dark... They drew up the last boat and carried it into the trees. They laid beneath it such of their goods that they did not need and could not carry away. 
Then they left Parth Galen. The afternoon was fading as they came back to the glade where Boromir had fallen. There they picked up the trail of the orcs. It needed little skill to find. "'No other folk make such a trampling,' said Legolas. "'It seems their delight to slash and beat down growing things that are not even in their way.' "'But they go with a great speed for all of that,' said Aragorn, "'and they do not tire. "'And later we may find need to search for our path in hard, bare lands.' "'Well, after them!' said Gimli. Dwarves, too, can go swiftly, and they do not tire sooner than orcs. But it will be a long chase. They've got a long start. Yes, said Aragorn. We shall need all the endurance of the dwarves. But come, with hope or without hope, we will follow the trail of our enemies. And woe to them if we prove the swifter. We will make such a chase as shall be accounted in a marvel among the three kindreds, elves, dwarves, and men. Forth, the three hunters! Like a deer he sprang away. Through the trees he sped. On and on he led them, tireless and swift, now that his mind was at last made up. The woods about the lake they left behind. Long slopes they climbed, dark, hard-edged against the sky already red with sunset. Dusk came. And they passed away, gray shadows in a stony land. All right, gang. Well, there we have it. Chapter one of book two, part one. Who's excited? Who's excited, my friends? I want to hear it from you. Um, and I want to know, frankly, as we're starting off this book, let's let's take a let's take a pretty relaxed chatter break question here. What are you most excited about here? Uh, and I want to know in your answer if you are. Uh, familiar with these stories or unfamiliar whether by movie or by um uh, or by book do you find yourselves most excited for um uh, uh uh for characters that are coming up or for places that we anticipate being able to see um so whether you are familiar or not i want to know um what things you are most excited for and if you if there's a version of this of of it that would be kind of spoilery. If you can try to make it not spoilery, I would go for it. But I will say, I don't think there are many folks here that are just like totally unfamiliar on all fronts. There may be a couple, but I don't think there are a lot of them. Um, well, the great thing about the great thing I will say about trying to talk without doing much in the way of spoilers in this series is that there are going to be tons of things that. That, that will go by or have associated with it names that are totally impossible to parse by anybody who's not already familiar with the series. Um, so hopefully it should be relatively easy, all things considered, uh, to at least mention certain things that should be able to clue us into what you're excited about, uh, even if you can't fully express it as you wish you might. Let's see... Um, Orly Rose says, I'm excited for all, all of them. The scenery, the locales are beautifully rendered. Um, Sander says, I hope for just character development. I'm new to it, Sam. Uh, and Sander, that surprises me a little bit. 
I am I'm a little surprised by that. Uh, and I will read some things out loud here, but I'm gonna be I'm gonna be very careful not to do any spoilery things. Um, JT just hopes we get some more sort of a scene description of some of the flora around. Um, uh, uh, Gwen says, I am looking forward to getting a better understanding, a better read, as it were, on the stories. Uh, excellent. <laughs> Freddy is, I am going to... Oh, you say regard them. <laughs> I thought you were going to say disregard them, but no. Uh, let me go ahead. Okay, Pretty Spade does say, House of the Rising Sun, Phantom of the Opera, Pokemon theme song, and Yankee Doodle all fit the meter of Boromir's funeral song. Um, that was wrong of you. That was wrong of you, and you may need to be punished. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to step away for a second. This is not going to be a full break. Um, I think I'm probably going to take that in the middle of this chapter, because like I said, it's 3,000, and then I'm, I'm, I am I'm would have to like try to undertake chapter two without... <laughs> Without a break, uh, just like a 12,000 words without a break. All right, we are all set, gang. Okay, uh, and with that, like I said, not a full break. I just need to go fill up my water. I'll be right back, and we're going to launch in on our next chapter. Hey, are y'all ready? Are y'all ready for this? Okay, okay. Here we go. Hmm. Oh, here we go, y'all. A quick spot of review. We are now embarking into uh, uh, the second chapter of the second book, The Two Towers. Now, officially, uh, Boromir is dead. The party is rent asunder. The Fellowship of the Ring is broken. Gandalf is gone. Boromir is dead. Uh, Frodo and Sam have gone off in their own direction with uh, one of the boats. Merry and Pippin have been carried off by orcs, and Aragorn decides, his heart now speaking to him confidently for the first time in a long time as he has been agonizing over this decision of where to go next. Um, he decides that Frodo made the right choice in separating off from the party. Two hobbits may well have a chance of sneaking around better than uh, than the, even the full party here. And now that the uh, now that these other two hobbits have been taken, now that Merry and Pippin have been taken, it feels wrong to him in his heart to let them endure the suffering and torture and death that they will endure at the hands of the orcs. These orcs that seem to be under the control of Saruman, not Sauron. With his heart made up, Aragorn leads Legolas and Gimli off in pursuit of the orcs that have taken Merry and Pippin. Chapter 2 The Riders of Rohan 
dusk deepened. Mist lay behind them among the trees below and brooded on the pale margins of the Anduin, but the sky was clear. Stars came out. The waxing moon was riding in the west, and the shadows of the rock were black. They had come to the feet of stony hills, and their pace was slower, for the trail was no longer easy to follow. Here the highlands of the Emmanuel ran from north to south in two long tumbled ridges. The western edge of each ridge was steep and difficult, but the eastward slopes were gentler, furrowed with many gullies and narrow ravines. All night the three companions scrambled in this bony land, climbing to the crest of the first and tallest ridge and down again into the darkness of a deep winding valley on the other side. There in the still cool hour before the dawn they rested for a brief space. The moon had long gone down before them. The stars glittered above. The first light of day had not yet come over the dark hills behind. For the moment, Aragorn was at a loss. The orc trail had descended into the valley, but there it had vanished. "'Which way would they turn, do you think?' said Legolas. "'Northward to take a straighter road to Isengard, or Fangorn, if that is their aim, as you guess, or southward to strike the Antwash.' They will not make for the river, whatever mark they aim at, said Aragorn. And unless there is much amiss in Rohan and the power of Saruman is greatly increased, they will take the shortest way they can find over the fields of the Rahirim. Let us search northward. The dale ran like a stony trough between the ridged hills, and a trickling stream flowed among the boulders at the bottom. A cliff frowned upon their right. To their left rose grey slopes, dim and shadowy in the late night. They went on for a mile or more northward. Aragorn was searching, bent toward the ground, among the folds and gullies leading up to the western ridge. Legolas was some way ahead. Suddenly the elf gave a cry, and the others came running toward him. "'We have already overtaken some of those we were hunting,' he said. "'Look!' He pointed, and they saw what they had at first taken to be the boulders lying at the foot of the slope. They were huddled bodies. Five dead orcs lay there. They had been hewn with many cruel strokes, and two had been beheaded. The ground was wet with their dark blood. "'Here is another riddle,' said Gimli. "'But it needs the light of day, and for that we cannot wait.' "'Yet, however you read it, it seems not unhopeful,' said Legolas. "'Enemies of the orcs are likely to be our friends. "'Do any folk dwell in these hills?' "'No,' said Aragorn. "'The Rehirim seldom come here, and it is far from Minas Tirith. "'It might be that some company of men were hunting here for reasons that we do not know. "'And yet, I think not.' "'What do you think?' said Gimli. "'I think that the enemy has brought his own enemy with him,' answered Aragorn. "'These are northern orcs from far away. "'Among the slain are none of the great orcs with the strange badges. "'There was a quarrel, I guess. "'It is not uncommon with these foul folk. "'Maybe there was some dispute about the road.' "'What about the captives?' said Gimli. "'Let us hope that they, too, did not meet their end here.' Aragorn searched the ground in a wide circle, but no other traces of the fight could be found. They went on. Already the eastward sky was turning pale. The stars were fading, and a grey light was slowly growing. A little further north they came to a fold in which a tiny stream, falling and winding, had cut a stony path down into the valley. 
In it some bushes grew, and there were patches of grass upon its sides. At last, said Aragorn, here are the tracks that we seek. Up this water channel, this is the way that the orcs went after their debate. Swiftly now the pursuers turned and followed the new path. As if fresh from a night's rest, they sprang from stone to stone. At last they reached the crest of the grey hill, and a sudden breeze blew in their hair and stirred their cloaks, the chill wind of dawn. Turning back, they saw, across the river, the far hills kindled. Day leapt into the sky. The red rim of the sun rose over the shoulders of the dark land. Before them, in the west, the world lay still, formless and grey. But even as they looked, the shadows of night melted. The colors of the waking earth returned. Green flowed over the wide meads of Rohan. The white mists shimmered in the water veils, and far off to the left, thirty leagues or more, blue and purple stood the white mountains, rising into peaks of jet, tipped with glimmering snows, flushed with the rose of morning. Gondor, cried Aragorn. Gondor! Would that I looked upon you in a happier hour. Not yet does my road lie southward to your bright streams. Gondor, Gondor between the mountains and the sea. West wind blew there the light upon the silver tree. Fell like bright rain in gardens of kings of old. O proud walls, white towers, O winged crown and throne of gold. O Gondor, Gondor, shall men behold the silver tree. O west wind blow again between the mountains and the sea. Now let us go he said, drawing his eyes away from the south and looking out west and north to the way which they must tread. The ridge upon which the companions stood went down steeply before their feet. Below it, twenty fathoms or more, there was a wide and rugged shelf which ended suddenly on the brink of a sheer cliff, the east wall of Rohan. So ended the Eminwil, and the green plains of the Rohirrim stretched away before them to the edge of sight. Look! cried Legolas, pointing up into the pale sky above them. There is the eagle again. He is very high. He seems to be flying away now, from this land back to the north. He's going with great speed. Look. No, not even my eyes can see him, my good Legolas, said Aragorn. He must be far aloft indeed. I wonder what is his errand, if he's the same bird that I had seen before. But look, I can see something nearer at hand and more urgent. There is something moving over the plain. Many things, said Legolas. It is a great company on foot, but I cannot say more, nor see what kind of folk they may be. They are many leagues away. Twelve, I guess, but the flatness of the plain is hard to measure. I think, nonetheless, that we no longer need any trail to tell us which way to go, said Gimli. Let us find a path down to the fields as quick as may be. I doubt if you'll find a path quicker than the ones that the orc chose, said Aragorn. They followed their enemies now by the clear light of day. It seemed that the orcs had pressed on with all possible speed. Every now and then the pursuers found things that had been dropped or cast away, food bags, the rinds and crusts of hard grey bread, a torn black cloak, a heavy iron-nailed shoe broken on the stones. The trail led them north along the top of the escarpment, and at length they came down a deep cleft carved into the rock by a stream that splashed noisily down. In the narrow ravine, a rough path descended like a steep stair into the plain. 
At the bottom, they came with a strange suddenness onto the grass of Rohan. It swelled like a great green sea up to the very foot of Emmenmuil. The falling stream vanished into a deep growth of cresses and water plants, and they could hear it tinkling away in green tunnels, down long, gentle slopes toward the fens of Entwash Vale far away. They seemed to have left winter clinging to the hills behind. Here the air was softer and warmer and faintly scented, as if spring was already stirring in the sap and was flowing again in herb and leaf. Legolas took a deep breath, like one that drinks in a great draught after long thirst in barren places. Oh, the green smell, he said. It is better, much better than sleep. Let us run. Light feet may run swiftly here, said Aragorn, more swiftly maybe than iron-shod orcs. Now we've got a chance to lessen their lead. They went in single file, running like hounds on a strong scent, and an eager light was in their eyes. Nearly due west, the broad swath of the marching orcs tramped its ugly slot. Sweet grass of Rohan had been bruised and blackened as they passed. Presently, Aragorn gave a cry and turned aside. "'Stay!' he shouted. "'Do not follow me yet.' He ran quickly to the right, away from the main trail, for he had seen footprints that went that way, branching off from the others. The marks of small, unshod feet. These, however, did not go far before they were crossed by orc prints, also coming out from the trail main behind them and in front, and then crossing sharply back again and were lost in the trampling. At the furthest point, Aragorn stopped and picked up something from the grass. Then he ran back. "'Yes,' he said. "'They're quite plain.' A hobbit's footprints. Pippins, I think. He's smaller than the other. And look at this. He held up a thing that glittered in the sunlight. It looked like the new-opened leaf of a beech tree, fair and strange in that treeless plain. The brooch of an elven cloak, cried Gimli and Legolas together. Not idly do the leaves of Lorien fall, said Aragorn. This did not drop by chance. It was cast away as a token to any that might follow. I think Pippin ran away from the trail for that purpose. Well, then at least he was alive, said Gimli. And he got the use of his wits, and his legs too. That, that is heartening. We do not pursue in vain. Let us hope that he did not pay too dearly for his boldness, said Legolas. Come, let us go on. The thought of those merry young folk driven like cattle burns my heart. The sun climbed to the noon and then rode slowly down the sky. Light clouds came up out of the sea in the distant south and were blown away upon the breeze. The sun sank. Shadows rose behind and reached out long arms from the east. Still, the hunters held on. One day now had passed since Boromir fell, and the orcs were yet far ahead. No longer could any sight of them be seen in the level plains. As nightshade was closing about them, Aragorn halted. Only twice in the day's march had they rested for a brief while, and twelve leagues now lay between them and the eastern wall where they stood at dawn. We have come at last to a hard choice, he said. Shall we rest by night, or shall we go on while our will and strength hold? Unless our enemies rest also, they will leave us far behind, if we stay to sleep, said Legolas. 
Surely even orcs must pause on the march, said Gimli. Seldom will orcs journey in the open under the sun, yet these have done so, said Legolas. Certainly they will not rest by night. But if we walk at night, we cannot follow their trail, said Gimli. The trail is straight and turns neither right nor left as far as my eyes can see, said Legolas. Maybe I could lead you at guess in the darkness and hold the line, said Aragorn. But if we strayed or they turned aside, then when the light came there might also be a long delay before the trail was found again. And there is this also, said Gimli. Only by day can we see if any tracks lead away. If a prisoner should escape, or if one should be carried off eastward, say, to the great river toward Mordor, we might pass the sign and never know. That is true, said Aragorn. But if I read the signs back yonder, rightly the orcs of the White Hand prevailed, and the whole company is now bound for Isengard. Their present course bears me out. Yet it would be rash to be sure of their counsels, said Gimli, and one of escape. In the dark we should have passed the signs that led you to the brooch. The orcs will be doubly on their guard since then, and the prisoners even wearier, said Legolas. There will be no escape again if we do not contrive it. How that is to be done cannot be guessed, but first we must overtake them. And yet, even I, dwarf of many journeys, and not the least hearty of my folk, cannot run all the way to Isengard without any pause, said Gimli. My heart burns me too, and I would have started sooner, but now I must rest a little to run the better. And if we rest, then the blind night is the time to do so. I said that it was a hard choice, said Aragorn. How shall we end this debate? You are our guide, said Gimli, and you are skilled in the chase. You shall choose. My heart bids me to go on, said Legolas, but we must hold together. I will follow your counsel. You give the choice to an ill chooser, said Aragorn. Since we passed through the Argonath, my choices have gone amiss. He fell silent, gazing north and west into the gathering night for a long time. We will not walk in the dark. We will not walk in the dark, he said at length. The peril of missing the trail or signs of other coming and going seems to me the greater. If the moon gave enough light, we would use it, but alas, he sets early and is set young and pale. And tonight you shrouded anyway, Gimli murmured. Would that the lady had given us a light, such a gift as she gave to Frodo. It will be more needed where it was bestowed, said Aragorn. With him lies the true quest. Ours is but a small matter in the great deeds of this time. A vain pursuit from its beginning, maybe, which no choice of mine can mar or mend. Well, I have chosen so let us use this time as best we may. He cast himself onto the ground and fell asleep at once, for he had not slept since their night under the shadow of Tolbrandir. Before dawn was in the sky, he woke and rose. 
Gimli was still deep in slumber, but Legolas was standing, gazing northward into the darkness, thoughtful and silent as a young tree in a windless night. They are far, far away, he said sadly, turning to Aragorn. I know in my heart they have not rested this night. Only an eagle could overtake them now. Nevertheless, we must still follow as we may, said Aragorn. Stooping, he roused the dwarf. Come, we must go, he said. The scent is growing cold. But it is still dark, said Gimli. Even Legolas on a hilltop could not see them until the sun was up. I fear they have passed beyond my sight from hill or plain, under moon or sun, said Legolas. Where sight fails, the earth may bring us rumour, said Aragorn. The land must groan under their hated feet. He stretched himself upon the ground with his ear pressed against the turf. He lay there motionless for so long a time that Gimli wondered if he had swooned or fallen asleep again. Dawn came glimmering, and slowly a great gray light grew about them. At last he rose, and now his friends could see his face. It was pale and drawn, and his look was troubled. The rumor of the earth is dim and confused, he said. Nothing walks upon it for many miles about us. Faint and far are the feet of our enemies, but loud are the hoofs of horses. It comes to my mind that I heard them even as I lay on the ground in sleep, and they troubled my dreams. Horses galloping, passing in the west, but now they are drawing even further from us, riding northward. I wonder what is happening in this land. Let us go, said Legolas. So the third day of their pursuit began. During all its long hours of cloud and fitful sun they hardly paused, now striding, now running, as if no weariness could quench the fire that burned them. They seldom spoke. Over the wide solitude they passed, and their elven cloaks faded against the background of the grey-green fields. Even in the cool sunlight of midday, few but elvish eyes would have marked them until they were close at hand. Often in their hearts they thanked the Lady of Lorien for the gift of Lembas, for they could eat of it and find new strength even as they ran. All day the track of their enemies led straight on, going northwest without a break or turn. As once again the day wore to its end, they came to long treeless slopes where the land rose, swelling up toward a line of low humpbacked downs ahead. The orc trail grew fainter as it bent north toward them, for the ground became harder with the grass shorter. Far away to the left, the river Entwash wound, a silver thread on a green floor. No moving thing could be seen. Often Aragorn wondered that they saw no sign of beast or man. The dwellings of the Rohirrim were, for the most part, many leagues away to the south, under the wooded eaves of the White Mountains, now hidden in mist and cloud. Yet the horse lords had formerly kept many herds and studs in the East Emnet, this easterly region of their realm, and there the herdsmen had wandered much, living in camp and tent even in winter time. But now all the land was empty, and there was silence that did not seem to be the quiet of peace. At dusk they halted again. Now twice twelve leagues had they passed over the plains of Rohan, and the wall of the Emin Muil was lost in the shadows of the east. The young moon was glimmering in the misty sky, but it gave small light, and the stars were veiled. Now do I most grudge a time of rest, 
or any halt in our chase, said Legolas. The orcs have run before us, as if the very whips of Sauron were behind them. I fear they have already reached the forest and the dark hills, and even now are passing into the shadows of the trees. Gimli ground his teeth. This is a better end to our hope and all of our toil, he said. To hope, maybe, but not to toil, said Aragorn. We shall not turn back here. Yet I am weary. He gazed back along that way that they had come toward the night gathering in the east. There is something strange at work in this land. I distrust the silence. I distrust even the pale moon. The stars are faint, and I am weary as I have seldom been before, weary as no ranger should be with a clear trail to follow. There is some will that lends speed to our foes and sets an unseen barrier before us, a weariness that is in the heart more than in the limb. Truly, said Legolas, that I have known since we first came down from the Ebon Muil, for the will is not behind us but before us. He pointed away over the land of Rohan into the darkling west under the sickle moon. Saruman, muttered Aragorn, but he shall not turn us back. Halt we must once more, for see, even the moon is falling into gathering cloud, but north lies our road between down and fen when the day returns. As before, Legolas was first afoot, if indeed he ever slept. Awake! he cried. Awake! It is a red dawn. Strange things await us by the eaves of the forest. Good or evil I do not know, but we are called. Awake! The others sprang up, and almost at once they set off again. Slowly the downs drew near. It was still an hour before noon when they reached them, green slopes rising to bare ridges that ran in a line straight toward the north. At their feet the ground was dry and the turf short, but a long strip of sunken land some ten miles wide lay between them and the river, wandering deep in dim thickets of reed and rush. Just to the west of the southernmost slope there was a great ring, where the turf had been torn and beaten by many trampling feet. From it the orc trail ran out again, turning north along the dry skirts of the hills. Aragorn halted and examined the tracks closely. They rested here a while, he said, but even the outward trail is already old. I fear that your heart spoke truly, Legolas. It is thrice twelve hours, I guess, since the orcs stood where we now stand. If they held to their pace, then at sundown yesterday they would reach the borders of Fangon. I can see nothing away north or west but grass dwindling into mist, said Gimli. Could we see the forest if we climbed the hills? It's still far away, said Aragorn. If I remember rightly, these downs run eight leagues or more to the north, and then northwest to the issuing of the Entwash. There lies still a wide land, another fifteen leagues it may be. Well, let us go on, said Gimli. My legs must forget the miles. They would be more willing if my heart were less heavy. The sun was sinking when at last they drew near to the end of the line of the downs. For many hours they had marched without rest. They were going slowly now, and Gimli's back was bent. Stone hard are the dwarves in labor or in journey, but this endless chase began to tell on him as all hope failed in his heart. 
Aragorn walked behind him, grim and silent, stooping now and again to scan some print or mark upon the ground. Only Legolas still stepped as lightly as ever, his feet hardly seeming to press the grass, leaving no footprints as he passed. But in the waybread of the elves he found all the sustenance that he needed, and he could sleep, if sleep it could be called by men, resting his mind in the strange paths of elvish dreams, even as he walked open-eyed in the light of this world. And can I just visit this line for just a second here? There's like, there's, you know, trancing here. There's the the whole like, uh, you know, dwarves are natural sprinters, what have you. There are a couple of notes that would, I, I think, this is, there's always this, this uh, sense that um, Tolkien birthed the, the prototype for uh, fantasy RPG dwarves and elves, etc., etc. I think there are a few details in here that would make <laughs> that would make like actual Tolkienian elves and actual Tolkienian dwarves more interesting if they were followed a little bit more particularly. This is such a wild thing. He can sleep while he's moving, <laughs> right? Uh, the strange paths of elvish dreams, even, even as he walks open-eyed in the light of this world. So as he is marching, he can sleep by sort of walking in elven dreams. That's crazy. Come on. That's crazy. It's super cool. This sort of like dreamwalking thing. There's, somebody's got to do something with that. Come on. Let us go on up this green hill, he said. Wearily they followed him, climbing the long slope until they came out upon the top. It was a round hill, smooth and bare, standing by itself the most northerly of the downs. The sun sank and the shadows of evening fell like a curtain. They were alone in a grey, formless world without mark or measure. Only far away northwest was there a deeper darkness against the dying light the mountains of mist and the forest at their feet. Nothing can we see to guide us here, said Gimli. Well, now we must halt again and wear the night away. It's growing cold. The wind is north from the snows, said Aragorn. And ere morning it will be in the east, said Legolas. But rest if you must, yet do not cast all hope away. Tomorrow is unknown. Raid oft is found at the rising of the sun. Three suns already have risen on our chase and brought no counsel, said Gimli. The night grew ever colder. Aragorn and Gimli slept fitfully, and whenever they awoke they saw Legolas standing beside them, or walking to and fro, singing softly to himself in his own tongue, and as he sang the white stars opened in the hard black vault above. So the night passed. Together they watched the dawn grow slowly in the sky, now bare and cloudless, until at last the sunrise came. It was pale and clear. The night was in the east, and all the mists had rolled away. Wide lands lay bleak about them in the bitter light. Ahead and eastward they saw the windy uplands of the Wold of Rohan that they had already glimpsed many days ago from the great river, Northwestward stalked the dark forest of Fangorn. Still ten leagues away stood its shadowy eaves, and its further slopes faded into the distant blue. Beyond there glimmered far away, as if floating on a gray cloud, the white head of tall Metadros, the last peak of the misty mountains. 
Out of the forest the entwash flowed to meet them, its stream now swift and narrow, and its banks deep cloven. The orc trail turned from the downs toward it. Following with his keen eyes the trail to the river, and then the river back toward the forest, Aragorn saw a shadow on the distant green, a dark, swift-moving blur. He cast himself upon the ground and listened again intently. But Legolas stood beside him, shading his bright elven eyes with his long, slender hand, and he saw not a shadow nor a blur, but the small figures of horsemen, many horsemen, and the glint of morning on the tips of their spears was like the twinkle of minute stars beyond the edge of mortal sight. Far behind them a dark smoke rose in thin, curling threads. There was a silence in the empty fields. Arid, Gimli could hear the air moving in the grass. "'Riders!' cried Aragorn, springing to his feet. "'Many riders on swift steeds are coming toward us.' "'Yes,' said Legolas. "'There are one hundred and five. "'Yellow is their hair and bright are their spears. "'Their leader is very tall.' "'Aragorn smiled. "'Keen are the eyes of the elves,' he said. "'Nay, the riders are little more than five leagues distant,' said Legolas. Five leagues are one, said Gimli. We cannot escape them in this bare land. Shall we wait for them or go on our way? We will wait, said Aragorn. I am weary, and our hunt has failed. Or at least others were before us, for these horsemen are riding back down the Orc Trail. We may get news from them. Or spears, said Gimli. There are three empty saddles, but I see no hobbits, said Legolas. I did not say we should hear good news, said Aragorn, but evil or good, we will await it here. The three companions now left the hilltop, where they might be an easy mark against the pale sky, and they walked down slowly down the northward slope. A little above the hill's foot they halted and wrapped their cloaks about them, and sat together huddled upon the faded grass. The time passed slowly and heavily. The wind was thin and searching. Gimli was uneasy. What do you know of these horsemen, Aragorn? he said. Do we sit here waiting for sudden death? I have been among them, answered Aragorn. They are proud and willful, but they are true-hearted, generous in thought and deed. Bold, but not cruel, wise, but unlearned, writing no books, but singing many songs after the manner of children of men before the dark years. But I do not know what has happened here of late, nor in what mind the Rahirim may now be between the traitor Saruman and the threat of Sauron. They have long been friends of the people of Gondor, though they are not akin to them. It was in the forgotten years long ago that Eorl the Young brought them out of the north, and their kinship is rather with the bardlings of Dale and with the Beodlings of the wood, among whom may still be seen many men tall and fair, as are the riders of Rohan. At least they will not love the orcs. But Gandalf spoke of a rumour that they pay tribute to Mordor, said Gimli. I believe it no more than did Boromir, answered Aragorn. You will soon learn the truth. That said Legolas. Already they approach. At length, even Gimli could hear the distant beat of galloping hooves. 
The horsemen, following the trail, had turned from the river and were drawing near the downs. They were riding like the wind. Now the cries of clear, strong voices came riding over the fields. Suddenly they swept up with a noise like thunder, and the foremost horsemen swerved, passing by the foot of the hill and leading the host back southward toward the western skirts of the downs. After him they rode, a long line of mail-clad men, swift, shining, fell, and fair to look upon. Their horses were of great stature, strong and clean-limbed. Their gray coats glistened, their long tails flowed in the wind, and their manes were braided on their proud necks. The men that stood, the men that rode them, matched them well. Tall and long-limbed, their hair, flaxen pale, flowed under the light helms and streamed in long braids behind them. Their faces were stern and keen. In their hands were tall spears of ash. Painted skins were hung at their backs. Their long swords were at their belts. Their burnished skirts of mail hung down low upon their knees. In pairs they galloped by, and though every now and then one rose in his stirrups and gazed ahead and to either side, they appeared not to perceive the three strangers sitting silently and watching them. The host had almost passed when suddenly Aragorn stood up and called in a loud voice, "'What news from the north?' Riders of Rohan! With astonishing speed and skill, they checked their steeds, wheeled, and came charging around. Soon the three companions found themselves in a ring of horsemen moving in a running circle, up the hill slope behind them, and down, round and round them, and drawing ever inward. Aragorn stood silent, and the other two sat without moving, wondering what way things would turn. Without a word or cry, suddenly the riders halted. A thicket of spears were pointed toward the strangers, and some of the horsemen had bows in hand, and their arrows were already fitted to the string. Then one rode forward, a tall man, taller than the rest. From his helm, as a crest, a white horsetail flowed. He advanced until the point of his spear was within a foot of Aragorn's breast. Aragorn did not stir. "'Who are you, and what are you doing in this land?' said the rider, using the common speech of the West, in a manner and tone like the speech of Boromir, man of Gondor. "'I'm called Strider,' answered Aragorn. "'I came out of the north. I'm hunting orcs.' The rider leapt from his horse. Giving his spear to another who rode up and dismounted at his side, he drew his sword and stood to face Aragorn, surveying him keenly and not without wonder. At length he spoke again. At first I thought that you yourselves were orcs, he said, but now I see that it is not so. Indeed, you know little of orcs if you go hunting them in this fashion. They were swift and well-armed, and there were many. You would have changed from hunters to prey if you had ever overtaken them. But there is something strange about you, Strider. He bent his clear, bright eyes again upon the ranger. That is no name for a man that you give. Strange, too, is your raiment. Have you sprung up out of the grass? How did you escape our sight? Are you elvish folk? No, said Aragorn. Only one of us is an elf, Legolas from the woodland realm in distant Mirkwood. But we have passed through Lothlorien, and the gifts and favor of the lady go with us. The rider looked at them with renewed wonder, but his eyes hardened. "'Then there is a lady in the Golden Wood, as the old tales tell,' he said. "'Few escape her nets, they say. "'These are strange days. 
But if you have her favor, then you also are net weavers and sorcerers, maybe. He turned a cold glance suddenly upon Legolas and Gimli. Why do you not speak, silent ones? He demanded. Gimli rose and planted his feet firmly apart. His hand gripped on the handle of his axe, and his dark eyes flashed. Give me your name, Horsemaster, and I will give you mine. And more besides, he said. As for that, said the rider, staring down at the dwarf, the stranger should declare himself first. Yet I am named Eomer, son of Eomund, and am called the third marshal of the Rithermark. Then Eomer, son of Eomund, third marshal of the Rithermark, let Gimli, the dwarf, Glunstan, warn you against foolish words. You speak evil of that which is fair beyond the reach of your thought. And only little wit can excuse you. Eomer's eyes blazed, and the men of Rohan murmured angrily and closed in, advancing their spears. I would cut off your head, beard and all, Master Dwarf, if it stood but a little higher from the ground, said Eomer. He stands not alone, said Legolas, bending his bow and fitting an arrow with hands that moved quicker than sight. You would die before your stroke fell. Eomer raised his sword. And things might have gone ill, but Aragorn sprang between them and raised his hand. Your pardon, Eomer, he cried. When you know more, you will understand why you have angered my companions. We intend no evil in Rohan, nor to any of its folk, neither to man nor to horse. Will you not hear our tale before you strike? I will, said Eomer, lowering his blade. But wanderers in the Rittermark would be wise to be less haughty in these days of doubt. First, tell me your right name. First, tell me whom you serve, said Aragorn. Are you friend or foe of Sauron, the Dark Lord of Mordor? I serve only the Lord of the Mark, Theoden King, son of Thengel, answered Eomer. We do not serve the power of the black land far away, but neither are we yet at open war with him. And if you are fleeing from him, then you had best leave this land. There is trouble now on all of our borders, and we are threatened. But we desire only to be free, and to live as we have lived, keeping our own and serving no foreign lord, good or evil. We welcomed guests kindly in the better days, but in these times... The unbidden stranger finds us swift and hard. Come, who are you? Whom do you serve? At what command do you hunt orcs in our land? I serve no man, said Aragorn. But the servants of Sauron I pursue into whatever land they may go. There are few among mortal men who know more of orcs, and I do not hunt them in this fashion out of choice. The orcs whom we pursued took captive two of my friends— in such need a man has no horse and will go on foot, and he will not ask for leave to follow the trail, nor will he count the heads of the enemy save with a sword. I am not weaponless. Aragorn threw back his cloak. The elven sheath glittered as he grasped it, and the bright blade of Anduril shone like a sudden flame as he swept it out. Elendil, he cried. I am Aragorn, son of Arathorn, and am called Elisar, the Elfstone. Dunedan, and heir of Isildur, Elendil's son of Gondor. Here is the sword that was broken and is forged again. Will you aid me or thwart me? Choose swiftly. Gimli and Legolas looked at their companion in amazement. 
for they had not seen him in this mood before. He seemed to have grown in stature while Eomer had shrunk, and in his living face they caught a brief vision of the power and majesty of the kings of stone. For a moment it seemed to the eyes of Legolas that a white flame flickered on the brows of Aragorn like a shining crown. Eomer stepped back with a look of awe on his face. He cast down his proud eyes. These are strange days indeed, he muttered. Dreams and legends sprung to life out of the grass. Tell me, Lord, he said, what brings you here? And what was the meaning of the dark words? Long has Boromir, son of Denethor, been gone seeking an answer, and the horse that we lent him came back riderless. What doom do you bring out of the north? The doom of choice, said Aragorn. You may say this to Theoden, son of Thingol. Open war lies before him, with Sauron or against him. None may live now as they have lived, and few shall keep what they call their own. But of these great matters we will speak later. If chance allows, I will come myself to the king. Now I am in great need, and I ask for help, or at least for tidings. You heard that we were pursuing an orc host that carried off our friends. What can you tell us? That you need not pursue them further, said Eomer. The orcs are destroyed. And our friends? We found none but orcs. That is strange indeed, said Aragorn. Did you search the slain? Were there no bodies other than those of orc kind? They would be... Small, only children to your eyes, unshod but clad in grey. There were no dwarves or children, said Eomer. We counted all the slain and despoiled them, and then we piled the carcasses and burned them, as is our custom. The ashes are smoking still. We do not speak of dwarves or children, said Gimli. Our friends were hobbits. Hobbits, said Eomer. And what may they be? It is a strange name. A strange name for a strange folk, said Gimli. And these are very dear to us. It seems that you have heard in Rohan of words that troubled Minas Tirith. They spoke of halflings. These hobbits are halflings. Halflings, laughed the rider that stood beside Eomer. Halflings! But they are only a little people in old songs and children's tales out of the north. Do we walk in legends or on the green earth in the daylight? A man may do both, said Aragorn. For not we, but those who come after, will make legends of our time. The green earth, you say. That is a mighty matter of legend, though you tread it under the light of day. Time is pressing! said the rider, not heeding Aragorn. We must hasten south, Lord. Let us leave these wild folk to their fancies, or let us bind them and take them to the king. Peace, Eothain, said Eomer in his own tongue. Leave me a while. Tell the Ered to assemble in the path and make ready to ride to the Entwade. Muttering, Eothain retired and spoke to the others. Soon they drew off and left Eomer alone with the three companions. All that you say is strange, Aragorn, he said. Yet you speak the truth. 
that is plain. The men of the mark do not lie, and therefore they are not easily deceived. But you have not told all. Will you not now speak more fully of your errand, so that I may judge what to do? I set out from Imlandris, as it is named in the rhyme, many weeks ago, answered Aragorn. With me went Boromir of Minas Tirith. My errand was to go to that city with the son of Denethor, to aid his folk in their war against Sauron. But the company that I journeyed with had other business. Of that I cannot speak now. Gandalf the Grey was our leader. Gandalf, Amir exclaimed, Gandalf Greyhaim is known in the mark, but his name, I warn you, is no longer a password to the king's favor. He has been a guest in the land many times in the memory of men, coming as he will, after a season or after many years. He is ever the herald of strange events, a bringer of evil, some now say. Indeed, since his last coming in the summer, all things have gone amiss. At that time our trouble with Saruman began. Until then we counted Saruman our friend. But Gandalf came and warned us that sudden war was preparing in Isengard. He said that he himself had been a prisoner in Orthanc and had barely escaped, and he begged for help. But Theoden would not listen to him, and he went away. Speak not loudly the name of Gandalf in Theoden's ears. He is wroth. For Gandalf took the horse that is called Shadowfax, most precious of all the king's steeds, chief of the Meras, which only the lord of the mark may ride. For the sire of their race was the great horse of Eorl that knew the speech of men. Seven nights ago Shadowfax returned, but the king's anger is not less, for now the horse is wild and will let no man handle him. Then Shadowfax has found his way alone from the far north, said Aragorn, for it was there that he and Gandalf parted. But alas, Gandalf will ride no longer. He fell into darkness in the mines of Moria, and comes not again. That is heavy tidings, said Eomir, at least to me, and to many, though not all as you may find if you come to the king. It is tidings more grievous than any this land can understand, though it may touch them sorely ere the year is much older, said Aragorn. But when the great fall, the less must lead. My part has been to guide our company on the long road from Moria. Through Lorien we came, of which it were well you should learn the truth ere you speak of it again and thence down the leagues of the great river to the falls of Rauros, where Boromir was slain by the same orcs whom you destroyed. Your news is all of woe, cried Eomer in dismay. Great harm is this death to Minas Tirith and to us all. That was a worthy man. All spoke his praise. He came seldom to the mark, for he was ever in the wars on the eastern borders, but I had seen him. Or like to the swift sons of Eorl and to the grave men of Gondor he seemed to me, and likely to prove a great captain of his people when his time came. But we have had no word of this grief out of Gondor. When did he fall? It is now the fourth day since he was slain, answered Aragorn, and since the evening of that day we have travelled from the shadow of Tolbrandia. On foot, cried Eomir. Yes, even as you see us. Wide wonder came into Eomer's eyes. 
Strider is too poor a name, son of Erethorn, he said. Wingfoot, I name you. This deed of the three friends should be sung in many a hall, forty leagues and five you have measured ere the fourth day is ended. Hardy is the race of Elendil. But now, Lord, what would you have me do? I must return in haste to Theoden. I spoke warily before my men. It is true. We are not yet at open war with the Black Land, and there are some close to the king's ear that speak craven counsels, but war is coming. We shall not forsake our old alliance with Gondor, and while they fight we shall aid them. So say I and all who hold with me. The Eastmark is my charge, the ward of the third marshal, and I have removed all our herds and herdfolk, withdrawing them beyond the Antwash, and leaving none here but guards and swift scouts. Then you do not pay tribute to Sauron, said Gimli. We do not and never have, said Eomer with a flash of his eyes, though it comes to my ears that that lie has been told. Some years ago the lord of the black land wished to purchase horses of us at a great price, but we refused him, for he puts beasts to evil use. And then he sent plundering orcs, and they carry off what they can, choosing always the black horses. Few of these are now left. For that reason our feud with the orcs is bitter. But at this time our chief concern is with Saruman. He has claimed lordship over all this land, and there has been war between us for many months. He has taken orcs into his service, and wolf riders, and the evil men. But he has closed the gap against us, so that we are likely to be beset both east and west. It is ill dealing with such a foe. He is a wizard both cunning and dwimmer crafty, having many guises. He walks here and there, they say, as an old man, hooded and cloaked, very like to Gandalf, as many now recall. His spies slip through every net, and his birds of ill omen are abroad in the sky. I do not know how it will all end, and my heart misgives me, for it seems to me that his friends do not all dwell in Isengard. But if you come to the king's house, you shall see yourself. Will you not come? Do I hope in vain that you have been sent to me for a help in doubt and need? I will come when I may said Aragorn. Come now, said Eomer. The heir of Elendil would be a strength indeed to the sons of Eorl in this evil tide. There is battle even now in the Westernland. I fear it shall go ill for us. Indeed, in this riding north I went without the king's leave, for in my absence his house is left with little guard. But scouts warned me of the orc host coming down out of the east wall three nights ago, and among them they reported that some bore the white badges of Saruman. So suspecting what I most fear, a league between Orthanc and the Dark Tower, I led forth my Eorid, men of my own household. We overtook the orcs at nightfall two days ago, near to the borders of the Entwood. There we surrounded them and gave battle yesterday at dawn. Fifteen of my men I lost, and twelve horses, alas. For the orcs were greater in number than when we counted them. Others joined them, coming out of this east across the great river. Their trail is plain to see at a little north of this spot. And others, too, came out of the forest. Great orcs who also bore the white hand of Isengard. That kind is stronger and more fell than the others. Nevertheless, we put an end to them. But we have been too long away. We are needed south and west. Will you not come? 
There are spare horses, as you see. There is work for the sword to do, yes. We could find the use for Gimli's axe and the bow of Legolas if you will pardon my rash words concerning the Lady of the Wood. I spoke only as do all the men of my land, and I would gladly learn better. I thank you for your fair words, said Aragorn, and my heart desires to come with you, but I cannot desert my friends while hope remains. Hope does not remain, said Eomer. You will not find your friends on the north borders. Yet my friends are not behind. We found a clear token not far from the east wall that one at least of them was still alive there. But between the wall and the downs we have found no other trace of them. And no trail is turned aside this way or that unless my skill has wholly left me. And what do you think has become of them? I do not know. They may have been slain and burned among the orcs, but that you will say, cannot be, and I do not fear it. I can only think that they were carried off into the forest before the battle, even before you encircled your foes, maybe. Can you swear that none escaped your net in such a way? I would swear that no orc escaped after we sighted them, said Ymir. We reached the forest eaves before them, and... If after that any living thing broke through our ring, then it was no orc and had some elvish power. Our friends were attired even as we are, said Aragorn, and you passed by us under the full light of day. I had forgotten that, said Eomer. It is hard to be sure of anything among so many marvels. The world is grown strange. Elf and dwarf in company walk in our daily fields, and folk speak of the Lady of the Wood and yet live... The sword comes back to war that was broken in long ages ere the fathers of our fathers rode into the mark. How shall a man judge what to do in such times? As he has ever judged, said Aragorn, good and evil have not changed since yesteryear, nor are they one thing among elves and dwarves and another among men. It is a man's part to discern them, as much in the golden wood as in his own house. True, indeed, said Emir. But I do not doubt you, nor the deed which my heart would do. Yet I am not free to do all as I would. It is against our law to let strangers wander at will in our land until the king himself should give them leave, and more strict is the command in these days of peril. I have begged you to come back willingly with me, and you will not. Loath am I to begin a battle of one hundred against three. I do not think your law was made for such a chance, said Aragorn, nor indeed am I a stranger, for I have been in this land before more than once, and ridden with the host of the Rehirim, though under another name and in another guise. You I have not seen before, for you are young, but I have spoken with Eamond, your father, and with Theoden, son of Thengel, never in former days when any high lord of this land have constrained a man to abandon such a quest as mine. My duty, at least, is clear, to go on. Come now, son of Eamond, the choice must be made at last. Aid us, or at the worst, let us go free. Or seek to carry out your law. If you do so, there will be fewer to return to your war, or to your king. Eomer was silent for a moment, and then he spoke. 
We both have need of haste, he said. My company chafes to be away, and every hour lessens your hope. This is my choice. You may go. And what is more, I will lend you horses. This only I ask. When your quest is achieved or is proved vain, return the horses over the Entwade to Medusulf. The high house in Edoras, where Theoden now sits. Thus you shall prove to him that I have not misjudged. In this I place myself, and maybe my very life, in the keeping of your good faith. Do not fail. I will not, said Aragorn. There was great wonder, and many dark and doubtful glances among his men, when Eomer gave orders that the spare horses were to be lent to the strangers. But only Eothain dared to speak openly. It may be well enough for this lord of the race of Gondor, as he claims, he said. But who has heard of a horse of the mark being given to a dwarf? No one, said Gimli, and do not trouble. No one will ever hear of it. I would sooner walk than sit on the back of any beast so great, free or begrudged. But you must ride now or you will hinder us, said Aragorn. Come, you shall sit beside me, friend Gimli. Oh, Come, you shall sit behind me, friend Gimli, said Legolas. Then all will be well, and you need neither borrow a horse nor be troubled by one. A great dark grey horse was brought to Aragorn, and he mounted it. Alsufel is his name, said Eomer. May he bear you well, and to better fortune, and to Garf, his late master. A smaller and lighter horse, but restive and fiery, was brought to Legolas, Arod was his name, but Legolas asked to take off the saddle and rein. "'I need them not,' he said, and leapt lightly up, and to their wonder Arod was tame and willing beneath him, moving here and there with but a spoken word. Such was the elvish way with all good beasts. Gimli was lifted up behind his friend, and he clung to him, not much more at ease than Sam Gamgee in a boat. "'Farewell!' "'And may you find what you seek,' cried Eomer. "'Return with what speed you may, "'and let our swords hereafter shine together.' "'I will come,' said Aragorn. "'And I will come too,' said Gimli. "'The matter of the Lady Galadriel lies still between us. "'I have yet to teach you gentle speech.' "'We shall see,' said Eomer. "'So many strange things have chanced.' that to learn the praise of a fair lady under the loving strokes of a dwarf's axe will seem no great wonder. Farewell! With that, they parted. Very swift with the horses of Rohan. When, after a while, Gimli looked back, the company of Eomer were already small and far away. Aragorn did not look back. He was watching the trail as they sped on their way, bending low with his head beside the neck of Hasufel. Before long, they came to the borders of the Entwash. And there they met the other trail of which Eomer had spoken, coming down from the east out of the wold. Aragorn dismounted and surveyed the ground. Then leaping back into the saddle, he rode away for some distance eastward, keeping on one side and taking care not to override the footprints. Then he again dismounted and examined the ground, going backward and forward on foot. There is little to discover, he said when he returned. The main trail is all confused with the passage of horsemen as they came back. Their outward course must have lain nearer the river. But this eastward trail is fresh and clear. There's no sign of any feed going the other way, back toward Anduin. 
Now we must ride slower and make sure that no trace or footstep branches off to either side. The orcs must have been aware from this point that they were pursued. They may have taken some attempt to get their captives away before they were taken. As they rode forward, the day was overcast. Low gray clouds came over the wold. A mist shrouded the sun. Ever nearer, the tree-clad slopes of Fangorn loomed, slowly darkling as the sun went west. They saw no sign of any trail to right or left, but here and there they passed single orcs, fallen in their tracks as they ran, with gray-feathered arrows sticking in back or throat. At last, as the afternoon was waning, they came to the eaves of the forest, and in an open glade among the first trees they found the place of the great burning. The ashes were still hot and smoking. Beside it was a great pile of helms and mail, cloven shields and broken swords, bows and darts, and other gear of war. Upon a stake in the middle was set a great goblin head. Upon its shattered helm the white badge could still be seen. Further away, not far from the river, where it came streaming out from the edge of the wood, there was a mound. It was newly raised. The raw earth was covered with fresh-cut turves. About it were planted fifteen spears." Aragorn and his companions searched far and wide about the field of battle, but the light faded, and evening soon drew down, dim and misty. By nightfall they had discovered no trace of Merry or Pippin. "'We can do no more,' said Gimli sadly. "'We have been set many riddles since we came to Tolbrand here, but this is the hardest to unravel.' I, I, I would guess that the burned bones of the hobbits are now mingled with the orcs. It would be hard news to Frodo if he lived to hear it, and too hard for the old hobbit who waits in Rivendell. Elrond was against their coming. But Gandalf was not, said Legolas. But Gandalf chose to come himself, and he was first to be lost, answered Gimli. His foresight failed him. The Council of Gandalf was not founded on foreknowledge of safety, for himself or for others, said Aragorn. There are some things it is better to begin than to refuse, even though the end may be dark. But I shall not depart from this place yet. In any case, we must here await the morning light. A little way beyond the battlefield they made their camp under a spreading tree. It looked like a chestnut, and yet it still bore many broad brown leaves of a former year, like dry hands with long splayed fingers that rattled mournfully in the night breeze. Gimli shivered. They had brought only one blanket apiece. Let, let us light a fire, he said. I care no longer for the danger. Let the orcs come round as thick as summer moths round the candle. If those unhappy hobbits are astray in the woods, it might draw them hither, said Legolas. And it might draw other things, neither orc nor hobbit, said Aragorn. We are near to the mountain marches of the traitor Saruman. Also, we are on the very edge of Fangorn, and it is perilous to touch the trees of that wood, it is said. But the Rohirrim made a great burning here yesterday, said Gimli, and they felled trees for the fire, as can be seen. Yet they passed the night after safely here, when their labor was ended. 
They were many, said Aragorn, and they do not heed the wrath of Fanghorn, for they come here seldom, and they do not go under the trees. But our paths are likely to lead us into the forest itself, so have a care, cut no living wood. There is no need, said Gimli. The riders have left chip and bow enough, and there is dead wood lying in plenty. He went off to gather fuel, and busied himself with building and kindling a fire. But Aragorn sat silent, with his back to the great tree, deep in thought. And Legolas stood alone in the open, looking toward the profound shadow of the wood, leaning forward as one who listens to voices calling from a distance. When the dwarf had a small, bright blaze going, the three companions drew close and sat together, shrouding the light with their hooded forms. Legolas looked up at the boughs of the tree, reaching out above them. "'Look,' he said, "'the tree is glad of the fire.' It may have been that the dancing shadows tricked their eyes, but certainly to each of the companions the boughs appeared to be bending this way and that, so as to come above the flames, while the upper branches were stooping down. The brown leaves now stood out stiff and rubbed together like many cold, cracked hands, taking comfort in the warmth. There was a silence, for suddenly the dark and unknown forest so near at hand made itself felt as a great brooding presence, full of secret purpose. After a while, Legolas spoke again. Caliborn warned us not to go far into Fangorn, he said. Do you know why, Aragorn? What are the fables of the forest that Boromir had heard? I've heard many tales in Gondor and elsewhere, said Aragorn, but if it were not for the words of Celeborn, I should deem them only fables that men have made as true knowledge fades. I had thought of asking you what was the truth of the matter, and if an elf of the woods does not know, how shall a man answer? You have journeyed further than I, said Legolas. I have heard nothing of this in my own land, save only songs that tell how the Onodrim, that men call Ents, dwelt there long ago. For Fangorn is old, old even as the elves would reckon it. Yes, it is old, said Aragorn, as old as the forest by the Barrow Downs and far greater. Elrond says that the two are akin, the last strongholds of the mighty ward of the elder days, in which the firstborn roamed while men still slept. Yet, Fanghorn holds some secret of its own. What it is, I do not know. And I do not wish to know, said Gimli. Let nothing that dwells in Fanghorn be troubled on my account. They now drew lots for the watches, and the lot for the first watch fell to Gimli. The others lay down. Almost at once, sleep laid hold on them. Gimli, said Aragorn drowsily, remember it is perilous to cut bough or twig from living tree in Fangon, but do not stray far in search of dead wood. Rather let the fire die. <laughs> Call me at need. With that, he fell asleep. Legolas already lay motionless, his fair hands folded upon his breast, 
his eyes unclosed, blending living night and deep dream, as is the way with elves. Gimli sat hunched by the fire, running his thumb thoughtfully along the edge of his axe. The tree rustled. There was no other sound. Suddenly Gimli looked up, and there, just on the edge of the firelight, stood an old, bent man, leaning on a staff and wrapped in a great cloak. His wide-brimmed hat was pulled down over his eyes. Gimli sprang up, too amazed for the moment to cry out, though at once he thought Saruman had caught them. Both Aragorn and Legolas, roused by his sudden movement, sat up and stared. The old man did not speak or make sign. "'Well, father, what can we do for you?' said Aragorn, leaping to his feet. "'Come and be warm if you're cold.' He strode forward, but the old man was gone. There was no trace of him to be found near at hand, and they did not dare to wander far. The moon had set, and the night was very dark. Suddenly Legolas gave a cry. "'The horses! The horses!' The horses were gone. They had dragged their pickets and disappeared. For some time the three companions stood still and silent, troubled by this new stroke of ill fortune. They were under the eaves of Fangorn, and endless leagues lay between them and the men of Rohan, their only friends in this wide and dangerous land. As they stood, it seemed to them that they had heard, far off in the night, the sound of horses whinnying and neighing. And then all was quiet again, except for the cold rustle of the wind. "'Well, they are gone,' said Aragorn at last. "'We cannot find them or catch them, so... "'If they do not return of their own will, we must do without. "'We started on our feet, and we still have those.' "'Feet!' said Gimli. "'But we cannot eat them as well as walk on them!' "'He threw some fuel down on the fire and slumped down beside it. "'Only a few hours ago you were unwilling to sit on a horse of Rohan,' laughed Legolas. "'You will make a rider yet.' "'It seems unlikely I shall have the chance,' said Gimli. Uh, "'If you wish to know what I think,' he began again after a while, "'I think it was Saruman. "'Who else? "'Remember the words of Eomer. "'He walks about like an old man, hooded and cloaked.' Those were the words. He's gone off with our horses, or scared them away, and here we are. There is more trouble coming to us. You mark my words. I marked them, said Aragorn, but I marked also that this old man had a hat, not a hood. Still, I do not doubt that your guess is right, and that we are in peril here by night or day. Yet in the meantime, there is nothing we can do but rest while we may. I will watch for a while now, Gimli. I have more need of thought than of sleep. The night passed slowly. Legolas followed Aragorn, and Gimli followed Legolas, and their watches wore away. But nothing happened. The old man did not appear again, and the horses did not return.
That was a one right there. That there is a heck of a one. All right, y'all. That was, uh, was that the longest chapter in the, no, second longest chapter, just in part one. Okay, it's the second largest chapter in the whole book. Um, there's another, uh, let's see. <laughs> the longest chapter is chapter four. Second longest is chapter two, which we just read. And then the third longest chapter in this book is um, chapter five of part two. So, eesh, eesh, I would say. <laughs> Wish me luck, everybody. Um, uh, in answer to some questions that we had before, uh, yes, I do want to bring back the crafting streams. As a matter of fact, I may try to do one tonight if I've got time for it because uh, I might be crafting some uh, some little hobbit hole facades. Um, we shall see. I've got kind of a new lighting rig, which I'd love to test out, but at the same time, it, it's really big and cumbersome. But I've got I've got new light bulbs and some 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 uh, can lamps anyway. Maybe I'll just try those at the very least. So, everybody, thank you so very much for joining me here today. Uh, of course, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. I hope you have enjoyed this one. I am going to uh, book it on out of here. Um, uh, actually, you know, maybe I won't book it on out of here. Maybe I won't go quite that fast. Um, Y'all, like I said before, do let me know if you've got any ideas as to how I can manage my enthusiasm for different things. Because like I said, I'm currently on this huge crafting project. Like, uh, as far as I know, there's only one, well, technically two of these things in the world um, in existence. And one of them is at Weta Workshop that made, (laughs) that, that, you know, did the movies. Uh, The other one is uh, at Real Terrain Hobbies. That's a YouTube channel. Uh, mine is going to be different from both of theirs, uh, as mine is is intended to kind of match the actual layout and terrain of the location in uh, New Zealand. So something to think about. Uh, mine is so so that mine will be unique in that way, I suppose. Um, but uh, Gwen Dog says, like Dumbledore's mom said, prioritize. And I do try to prioritize, and yet I keep finding myself like, oh boy. My my new thing is last night I watched uh, a couple of videos and uh, I've always liked kind of the idea of woodworking, um, uh, and I I really boy did, did I ever enjoy making um, uh, the shelf that sits in our living room right now we call it Clayton because it looks like something that Clayton from Tarzan would have built, um, but the the shelf's name is Clayton and it's this big old thing, um, and I really enjoyed that and I just like building stuff in general I guess. And uh, between a few things that I've spotted in terms of like, uh, uh, you know, like joinery using dowels, which seems like a really easy way for me to get started um, so that I can build like durable things without needing to know all the details about like dovetails and what have you. Um, Just a a good way to get started. Between that and the fact that like I I watched a couple of videos last night about uh, one was a way to build your own um, sawhorses with like some added features, but that also fold up. (laughs) <laughs> so I was looking at those thinking like, well, maybe, maybe I could put those sawhorses. I could like put, put a French cleat system on them and hang them on the walls. And then, so they would be like out of the way and maybe Cass would be okay with me trying to put stuff, another thing into our little apartment. And then, um, uh, I, I saw this cool video about making like a kind of semi-portable woodworking bench and how it was supposed to be compatible with sawhorses. And then I realized like, oh, well, if I could purpose build it, if I could purpose build it, then I could just make these sawhorses so that they are like perfectly uh, built for this little woodworking bench. And then I could 
separate them and put them back together as I need to. Um, and so I've got, I'm like I said, I'm on this like woodworking thing right now, which seems like it would be a lot of fun um, and like very practical. Like I said, I, I like working with my hands like that. Um, I'm on this crafting thing. I'm reading. I've got a job. I have got uh, two, uh, about to be three regular clients that want to meet either every week or every month um, uh, for RPG stuff. So I'm, I'm doing a bunch of planning for those. Uh, I've got my home game that I am running, uh, which requires even more planning because it's a longer one. And, uh, uh, you know, on top of that, there's like the, uh, I, I, like, I want to keep doing cosplay stuff because y'all gems sent me the coolest belt that there ever was in the world. Um, it's fantastic. And, uh, I also want to do this like zine, <laughs> just like a little, like six page thing, um, where you can pull the pages apart and it will make a, uh, uh you can use that as a template to build your own little bits of terrain. I've got this idea where I can give you, like, you can print off two sheets. One is the template, and you stick that onto a piece of foam core or cardboard, and you cut that out. And then you print off the second one, which is a texture piece, um, which is, like, it'll have, like, a, a high-resolution... I've already found these. They're in a file. I've, I just found those last night. Um, these, like, high-resolution files. Uh, and I want to do a print-friendly version, like an ink-friendly version as well. Uh, just, like, like, a black-and-white version with maybe a little bit of shading. Um, I may consult some of my artists for that, uh, but I want to do that so that people can build, I want to build like, um, uh, uh, templates for terrain and then put that in this zine so that like you, you grab the zine and you can make like a little watchtower and some trees, uh, while also giving some like lore information about like, here is where these watchtowers pop up in the realms of Recetus, uh, like lore information and just like little, little bits and pieces. And I, I want to do all this stuff is what I'm saying. How do I manage that? Uh, and chat is giving me some some uh, some good info here. Uh, but like I said, if you're listening to this after the after the stream, please go over to Discord and let me know. Uh, just be like, uh, um, "Hey Sam, uh, new projects. Here's advice for new projects." Um, Louis says, "Build a list and prioritize. Make it adjustable as ideas change." Louis says, "I use a whiteboard." Um, okay. So let me, so, so first of all, Dumbledore's mom said prioritize. The prioritizing is something I have a really hard time with because I will always, I almost always prioritize the thing that I'm getting like the most feedback on. (sighs) But, um, prioritize, make it adjustable as ideas change. I use a whiteboard. And so what that tends to become for me is I will, I'll have all these whiteboards. Uh, I'll have this, this, I, I tried Kanban for a little while, Kanban, Kanban, um, that sort of like flow chart idea. And I would end up with all of these ideas that, um, just never really got any gas because I, I would either add ones or, or more, more likely, like as I, as I added them at frankly, a fairly reasonable pace, the unreasonable thing that would always get in the way was that the existing projects would get more complicated. So like, yeah, I would love to start my, you know, start working on the zine tonight or what have you. But instead, um, uh, you know, like I have to make another run to the lumber store because I'm out of something that I thought I had enough of um, and all this sort of stuff. And so, yeah, just, I just got shifted around a lot. And then, and then at some point it would be so covered with post-it notes that I would put it behind a door somewhere until I didn't have to think about it anymore. 
<laughs> I would get a little overwhelmed. So this is why it hasn't worked in the past, but maybe I just need to refine my system. Maybe I need like a, I only tried the three, like the three pillars and I, I, I sort of like stacked up all of my different tasks on that. So maybe instead I do different boards for different pursuits. One is like hobbies and and uh, uh, other pursuits like that. And then the other one is, oh yeah, Gwendog, that reminds me. Gwendog says, keep a notebook. A great idea. Um, there's another one of my ideas is I I built a like fir- very first prototype. Oh yeah, and it's all, oh boy. So Silver Bullet that I'm writing as well, that's on the list. Um, the notebook, I have got uh, uh, a... Uh, a, a design for a notebook that you can refill that's not a pain in the butt, like loose leaf paper. Um, and so uh, that's on my to-do list. That's on my docket. Um, I've got like a prototype of that built. Um, and then I've got this backpack that folds up in a, like a weird way. It's like this Z-fold backpack that I want to, I want to talk about because it, I, and I want to cover all of my walls with the French cleat system such that I can, uh, uh, put tools everywhere and I can't do that in this apartment. So that one, at least I can avoid for the time being, but ugh, good Lord. Luis says, build a list and prioritize, make it adjustable as ideas change. And, you know, I always, I always, in the past, one of my issues with that has been that, uh, the stuff that I need to do always seems to kind of overtake the stuff that I want to do. And I know that's just life, but like it sort of, it would visually overtake it. And so maybe I could make this more manageable by having two separate boards, one with sort of, you know, life stuff that needs to happen, uh, you know, uh, 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 bill paying, that kind of stuff. Um, and then one with my sort of like hobby projects, because then my hobby projects, those can stay in stasis for a long time. And so even if I have to leave that one on the side for like two weeks, I can come back to it without it getting buried in stuff on my need to do board. Okay. So maybe hold on. We may have, we may have had a breakthrough here. Okay. So this is good. Um, Gwendog says, also, you don't need, uh, you don't have to do everything every day, you know? Um, so what do I do with the part of my brain that shouts that? Yes, I do need to do that. Gwendog says each day can be dedicated to one or two projects slash ideas. And I think, you know, if I'm, if I am, if I am focusing on things like, uh, um, if I'm if I'm a little bit more focused up like this, and I can differentiate between the stuff that doesn't have kind of a timer attached to it and stuff that does, like bills or or renewing my driver's license or whatever the heck, um, then hopefully the want to dos won't get buried by the need to dos, and I can maintain that want to do list and sort of maintain my enthusiasm for it because it won't get buried under stuff. It will it will pause yes, but then I can come back and revisit it. So maybe a multiple board route. I could have one. I've already got one um, that, that I've just got in my sp- my streaming spreadsheet for edits. That one has worked really well. And frankly, I don't think I need to do much more with that one. So that that can be its own thing. And then I can have a, a sort of like life need to do list and then a, a want to do list. Ooh, ooh, Luis, I love that. A mundane list and a magic list. Luis, I'm using that for sure okay now i just need to figure out where in my apartment i'm going to put these things uh just like where is a good flat surface for this and i think this mirror right here might be the perfect spot for it so i think i'm i think i think this may well work for me hey y'all thank you as per usual um 
Thank you so much for helping me out with that. I think that could be a really great way to do it. Um, and I think with that, uh, like I said, y'all, I, I would still, any any additional ideas that anyone has on the, on the realist in here, I would definitely still love to hear your ideas over in Discord. So please let me know there. Um, Cass is urging me to get back on my, my Instagram game. And so I'm going to have to work on that because I am, I mean, I've done so much building on this, uh, this, <laughs> this project, um, uh, the, the Hobbiton project. It makes sense to document it up there, doesn't it? As opposed to just in Discord and a little, frankly, kind of hard to find thread. So there we have it. All right. My good folks, I love y'all. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I may go with like a tape and dry erase thing on the mirror. Uh, although I will say I do like I do like the post-it notes because then I can physically move them around. I, I like post-it notes for this particular thing. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Hey, everybody, thank you so much. All right, Mundane List and Magic List, they're going on the wall uh, tonight. I don't need to fill them up tonight. I can, I can put them both up there tonight, though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Y'all, uh, it's been absolutely grand. Everybody, O equals Yo. I'll see y'all later. Have a great night. <laughs>